I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Milestone Pursuit podcast. It is Friday the 22nd of October. It's a beautiful sunny but cold day. Late afternoon. Jogging through Epping Forest. And I've just got a little bit of an intro today, so something slightly different. Going to jog an intro, but the main part of this podcast today is all about Charlotte Purdue and her journey from Olympic despair to London Marathon glory and 2.23. But it's actually a story and a focus on resilience. So we're going to talk about what she's achieved, how she's managed her way through some difficult circumstances to incredibly high performance and just by way of context we in the master in pursuit provide Charlotte with a little bit of financial support to help her in her ambitions as a professional athlete in the knowledge that marathon runners in particular find it very hard to procure income to enable them to continue to train on a full-time basis and to be at their best. And we do that via a scheme in which we reinvest some of the revenue we take and the revenue we collect from our coaching clients and our work back into some elite athletes like Charlotte, like Natasha Cockrum and like Josh Griffiths. And it's interesting timing that we've had this conversation in the context of British Athletics recently announcing their new funding structure for, for athletes with potential and then perhaps the subsequent departures of the senior leaders from British Athletics and the mess that is somewhat unfolding. But we're not going to talk about that. That's just an important bit of context. What we are going to talk about is resilience. And we're going to focus on how she was resilient, what we can learn, and how we might apply that in other situations, not just in our running. And for me, resilience is, is about focus on the long term. And in doing so, learning from your mistakes, learning from disappointments so that you develop. And in the in the recording I talk a bit about Carol Dweck and the growth mindset, which is the book that Carol wrote. And as I understand it, that really is all about seeing mistakes and disappointments as problems that need to be solved. And it recognises that over time, through practice, you become better at solving those problems. 
and that's the key thing because like everything else in life it requires practice and so it follows that being resilient is a learned skill it's something that can be developed and that's something we explore and I find it fascinating and I found the chat fascinating but let's hear from Charlotte and see what she's got to say on the matter and so the next voice you'll hear is me but in a different setting in my upstairs room on a Zoom call with Charlotte Hi Charlotte and well done on London. How are you feeling about it now? Yeah, uh, it feels kind of like it never happened to be honest. <laughs> um, everything's getting back uh, normal. Um, I mean, I'm back into training now and my legs feel normal again. So yeah, I obviously when I'm running now, I think oh, I'm a 223 runner, <laughs> um, which is pretty cool. But apart from that, um, everything's back to normal back at home. <laughs> Does that make you feel like a better runner than when you're actually out? The fact that you talk to yourself and go, I'm a 223 runner now, I feel I feel kind of entitled to be running well and it gives you a bit of a buzz when you're running? Yeah, I mean, when I was uh, training for London, I was thinking like I could maybe run 223 and um, it was just always in my mind. So to actually have done it now is, yeah, it's a good feeling to have like accomplished that goal. Um so yeah now I guess in training I have to think of something else I want to mm-hmm. uh, achieve because I always like to have something that I think about like a purpose for the training um not just going out there and slogging it out for no reason so before I was thinking yeah I want to run a good time at London and happen to be 223 whereas now I'm running and I'm like oh I've run 223 what's next <laughs> yeah that's interesting because a lot of people will face that that sort of sense of well I've achieved something no one can ever take that away from me so so what's next and we may come back to that, but what I actually wanted to talk about today was obviously the 223 is a big thing and it's a big highlight and something you're very proud of and rightly so, being as it is, as the third, your places you back a third, third in the all-time British rankings and quite a long way ahead of your competitors as it stands right now. But I want to go back because you came, you got to there from a very difficult place and that difficult place was not being selected for the Olympics post the Olympic trial race in March. So if we can just spend a little bit of time going back there, what, what I'm interested to know throughout today is, is kind of how you went from that dark place or that low place to running 2.23. So perhaps you can start, and I don't want to go back into the decision because you've talked a lot about the decision, and I think history has proven that whether that decision was correct or not, and we don't need to judge that right now. And I think, you know, you're in a comfortable place having run 2.23. But how did that, how did you feel when you got the call that you weren't selected and then your appeal was rejected how did how were you feeling at that time yeah so when I got the call I was honestly surprised um I did not expect it at all um that was just based on the conversations I'd had with British Athletics the couple of months before um yeah they'd indicated to me that I should miss the trials because um I should focus on the Olympics not rush back for a trial race I was in a good spot everything indicated that I would be selected unless three people ran the qualifying time at the trials and obviously that would not give me a a spot available so when there was was a spot available 
um, after the trials, I assumed that that put me in a really good position. So yeah, when I got the call, I was first of all really shocked. And then when I found out other the other two athletes were selected ahead of me, I was disappointed. And uh, yeah, I was just left like scratching my head a bit really because I'd literally done everything British Athletics had asked me to do. Um, and I was running at the time of the trials. So I think had I not been given that guidance by them um, in the month before, and it had been based on the just I had to run the trials, for example, then I would have run the trials and seen what would have happened. Because then at least if I didn't make the team on the day, it would have I would have been doing everything um, in my power to make sure that I could have made the team. But yeah, so I was kind of, yeah, a bit, I felt like I've been thrown under a bus is what I said in the press. And that's honestly how I felt because yeah, you're given indications that you should do something and this will enable you to be selected if everything goes right. And then, um, yeah, obviously to get that call was like, what? Um, So yeah, I was a bit lost to be honest. I didn't really know where to go because yeah, having listened to all the guidance before I was like, well, what should I do now? Because they've been guiding me to do, to miss the trials, to focus on the Olympics. And now they haven't selected me for the Olympics. So what am I meant to do? I was left kind of like with no goal. Um, And yeah, it was a bit of a weird time, to be honest. And did you, so you're obviously disappointed. It understates it, right? So you were, were you angry, upset? Where were you on that kind of spectrum emotionally? Yeah, a bit of both. Um, First of all, I was upset. And then I was angry when I found out the um, other athletes had been selected as well because I think I would have accepted it a lot more if only um, the person who made the team at the trials had been selected because she deserved to go but the other two I felt we were equal playing field and based on some information that I knew before I didn't feel like it was done fairly and when I saw the meeting notes as well from the selection meeting and there was incorrect things said about me in the meeting obviously I did appeal this but nothing happened um then I was really angry because I could see blatantly that um people had voted in that meeting based on incorrect information that had been given about me um so yeah I was really angry about that (laughs) and then what did you do so you appealed that's one thing that you did yeah um And and that didn't go very far No, I kind of knew that wasn't going to go far, but I had to do it anyway because the team had been announced already. Um, So they gave me 24 hours to appeal, but they announced the team uh, about 12 hours after I was told I wasn't selected. So it kind of left me in a difficult position because I knew that they're probably not going to deselect anyone that they've put in the team already. And But yeah, it left me like, should I appeal? But I kind of had to appeal just out of principle. So I did. Um, and obviously it made a lot of noise in the media, which was good because I did feel that it was um, done incorrectly. But yeah, obviously I wasn't selected. So, yeah. Yeah. So it didn't change anything. But no. poten- potentially that was you taking control of the situation because there's nothing you could have done about the selection. But you wanted to make it clear to everybody, um, including the selectors, that you felt it was the wrong decision. And that's something you could control. Yeah, exactly. And I think if I hadn't have appealed, it would have made me feel like, oh, I kind of accept your decision. And just when I saw the meeting notes, to be honest, and everything said about me, that was wrong. And obviously, I had to argue against it because it was just so incorrect that it was almost laughable, to be honest. Like I have screenshots of emails on my phone that I had sent uh, three weeks before the selection meeting about training and um, 
we had a meeting on Zoom with British Athletics, me and my coach. Um, and then stuff that was said in the meeting was completely opposite to that. So it was kind of like, yeah, almost laughable that uh, what had happened. So I couldn't just sit back. I think if it had been um, kind of like a fair situation where three athletes had run the time at the trials and I hadn't been put in, even though I was faster, for example, then maybe I wouldn't have appealed because it would have been it would have been a fair decision. You know, three athletes ran the trials, they qualified by right. So that's I could accept that, but I just couldn't accept this because it was blatantly um wrong in my in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. So you took control, you appealed, but obviously that appeal was unsuccessful and the media then died down after that. Nothing really came of it. So what happened next? What did you do? Because obviously at that point you, you said you'd lost your goal. How did you manage yourself through that period? Yeah. Um, so before, obviously, I was coming back from a niggle and uh, building back up my training. And yeah, I was in a good place with that. With that. But after the stress of the um, selection and non-selection and appeal, I just took a few, I'd say about a month to just um, like easy run and just kind of not properly train because obviously I didn't have a goal in August anymore. <laughs> I didn't know when my next goal was going to be, but I knew that there probably wasn't going to be one for a while, but just based on the fact there wasn't that many road races around at that time. So um, me and my coach, he told me just to do whatever training I wanted, really, um, which I did run every day, but it was just easy. And sometimes I do like progression run or something, but yeah, just took a step back and um, easy trained and focused on like other things in my life rather than, um, <laughs> running and yeah just I don't know it was quite stressful so um I just needed to take a bit of time really to not train <laughs> and did the running running for many people is therapy so it can help everybody deal lots of people deal with lots of difficult issues do you feel that that's what happened in that period for you as well so you were you were running every day but you were running easy most of the time and was that the purpose yeah, hundred percent. I mean, even the day that I got the phone call to say I wasn't selected, I'd already run an hour in the morning, and uh, I think I got a call at like four o'clock in the afternoon, and I was meant to do um, cross training that afternoon, like a another a cross training session. Um, but I was so angry that I went out and did a two hour run <laughs> um, at like five o'clock in the afternoon, and uh, yeah, because I just went out for a run and I just kept running, and I was. Just, thinking uh, like the whole time I was just thinking about stuff and it is kind of like therapy for me and I I did find it relaxing doing that even though I ran three hours that day um I don't think my coach is very happy about that but you know I just needed to um yeah to go running basically so I did find during that time um yeah that was yeah kind of like therapy for me yeah and the other thing that's important about that is your response to the stress so stress for everybody is difficult and with running those two things don't always come hand in hand so we talk about the therapeutic benefits of running but equally if you're stressed and you've got the stress reaction physically is to release your body releases cortisol which raises your sugar levels in your blood system so it uses up your energy reserves you also releases adrenaline which keeps your heart rate up and if you're stressed day to day and then you're trying to run you're carrying a load of tension because obviously what's happening there is your stress response is making you tired anyway so you're it's kind of triggering your muscle activity. It's making you, even when you're sitting down normally, your muscles are more active than they would be otherwise when you're stressed. And therefore it leaves you open to and vulnerable to injury if you're going to then try and push hard through that time. So 
I look at that and think that was a really smart thing to do was actually to pull back at that point in time and make sure you looked after yourself because stress does funny things. Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, yeah, looking back, it was the right thing as well, because if I'd have carried on training at that time anyway, it would have been way too early to get ready for London Marathon. Um, And like I said, I didn't really have a big goal before, you know, the big half in the end. So, um, yeah, there wasn't anything. So if I'd have been going at it really hard, trying to prove to myself that I should be in the Olympic team, that would have just ended in disaster. So I am glad that we did that. Yeah. Yeah. And also, do you feel in that period of time that you spent enough time thinking about how bad the situation was? So one of the things I think about when I talk about resilience is that it's important to recognise when things are not how you want them to be. And sometimes in our lives, particularly with social media expectations and the way that the world is, we kind of have a pressure to tell everybody and tell ourselves that everything's okay. It's going to be okay. But at the time, and things all invariably are, as you've gone on to prove, but at the time... It was tough. And I compare this a lot, not necessarily your situation, but when you're talking about these things, compare it to um, the pandemic. So we look back and a lot of the time through the pandemic, we're trying to convince ourselves that it's going to be okay. We're going to come through this stronger. It's going to be fine. But that doesn't stop it being really hard when you're in it. And I think you need to recognise that to get the most out of it at the end. Yeah. um, No, I do think I'm quite realistic. Um, I did put an Instagram post out at the time saying pretty much how I felt. And obviously in the media interviews and stuff, I didn't uh, hold back in saying how I was feeling because yeah, I needed to let them know and let people know that um, it wasn't ideal. And uh, (laughs) I obviously wasn't happy about the decision. So yeah, no, it was, it wasn't a great time. And uh, yeah, I don't want to go through that again. (laughs) No, quite. So there's another part to this, which you said, which is outside of work, you concentrate outside of your running rather, you concentrate on a few things and you moved house, didn't you, at the end of July, end of, end of June? Uh, June, yeah. yeah. Um, so what impact did that have? Yeah, that was, uh, that was good, actually, because obviously, as people know that I've moved house, it is quite stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was something in my life other than running that I could get excited about. And um, yeah, I think, you know, it's like a big life achievement buying a house. And so we were, we were buying our first house and um yeah it was exciting but also it just took the emphasis away from running um because I was focusing on you know going to get furniture for the house and (laughs) moving and stuff like that so it was quite fun and yeah good distraction to have um around that time a good distraction but also potentially something to get excited about so something to look forward to something to spend your time planning in the same way that you might have had around the Olympics at that point in time, if you'd have been selected, you'd have been thinking, right, I need to do this in my prep. I need to be at this point in my training, starting to think about training camps, trying to start and think about travel to Tokyo, all those types of planning things would have been going on. That would have been exciting, but in a way the house replaced that. Yeah. Because obviously if I had been selected, I might've been away on a training camp when we moved and I did kind of know that, but obviously you never know with timings and houses, how stuff's going to go. So um yeah looking back it was obviously quite cool that I actually got to move house into my first house rather than being on a training camp because previously when we've been renting I've always missed the house moves um which I guess it's been quite lucky um (laughs) (laughs) because I've been away training but I mean when you actually get your own house it's like a little bit different so yeah it was quite cool to have that um distraction yeah and also because it was your first home it is about life progression as well isn't it so it's not just about athletic progression 
we all want to see our lives moving forward and that was happening at the same time so that coincidentally probably had quite a big impact on the way you managed yourself through this difficult time yeah I think uh it was like a a life goal ticked off um Mm. buying a house and I wanted to buy a house for ages and it's actually um good to finally yeah be in the house now so yeah like you said it was a like bucket list goal ticked off but not running related (laughs) yeah yeah and was it at that point or slightly later that things started to click more with the running? So starting to get back into training, starting to think about goals. When did that sort of shift? Um, yeah, I don't know. I think probably a bit later. Um, I went away with Adam to Font-Rameau for a month, um, well, three weeks. Uh, just last minute, we decided to go once we'd been in the house for about a month. <laughs> we were like, let's go to Font-Rameau. Um, just because why not really there Adam didn't have any races and um, I was still building up and we hadn't been away anywhere for a, a little while so we just thought yeah we, why don't we go there so we went away um, and I'd say probably when I got back from Font Rameau was when um, things started to click into place um, yeah so that was probably when I obviously did know by that point that I was going to target London Marathon I think that was about June time where I committed to that Um but yeah, uh, probably end of Font Rameau where things started to click back into place. And the London Marathon obviously had a big role to play in that, as, uh, in, in all of it, really. So uh, they came and wanted you to run London, knowing that you weren't running the Olympics. And what point did they do that? So you said that was what, end of June again, same sort of time as the house move. Yeah, I'd say start or end of June. I think that was um, Nick obviously was in discussion with London Marathon um and yeah they they really wanted me to run so they were actually really good um and yeah uh they made it uh worthwhile to run (laughs) um so I mean obviously I I wanted a target and that just London Marathon's something that I love to do every year so that was a great a great goal for me to have um and yeah it worked out well really and we spoke about this before so the London Marathon obviously they they offered you an appearance fee and made it, like you say, worth your while doing, especially if you've just moved house. So that's all good. But they also made you feel like they wanted you there, didn't they? Yeah. Um, I mean, I always do feel like London Marathon have looked after me every time I've done it, even from the first one. Um, I think growing up, um, obviously doing the mini marathon and stuff, and I had London Marathon funding before I was on British Athletics funding um so to be honest London Marathon's played like a massive role in my career and even when I was at university they um they funded a athlete house and I actually lived in that London Marathon athlete funded house so it's it's kind of like gone full circle so I do feel like um my whole career London Marathon have played a massive part so to be able to run there and run well is always something that I want to do so once they'd kind of offered you the place, made sure that you were comfortable with it and obviously healthy enough to do it, that kind of tr- triggered things. But that with the Font remote trip, that got you going again. Yeah, I I did. Yeah, that definitely got me going. I mean, with the London Marathon ha- ha- being a big goal, um, my coach was just a bit, a bit worried because he didn't want me to get injured again um, because obviously I hadn't run a marathon since 2019. And... I had that little uh, injury at the start of the year. So he was a bit worried about me getting injured. Um, so we did hold back a lot um, with the training compared to other marathon build-ups I've done. So I actually didn't really start marathon training until after font which was when stuff started to click. But yeah, um, it was still good to have London Marathon as a goal in the back of my mind the whole time. 
And how did you feel at that point about adjusting your goal from obviously the Olympics, which was happening around that point anyway, and then adjusting it towards London? Yeah, I think uh, fine, actually. Like Adam always laughs because he said uh, he was still like angry about the Olympics situation uh, like six weeks after. But like I got over it pretty quickly as soon as I knew that I wasn't in the team and I needed a new goal and I had London Marathon. I just moved on and I didn't really think again about it after after that um because yeah to be honest I didn't want to just keep going over it in my head like it was done there was nothing I could do now uh the only annoying thing was that I was reserve um which I kind of didn't like I mean I'd rather have not been reserved because part of me in my head was like oh is someone going to drop out and I knew they had to do like fitness tests and stuff like that but I honestly didn't want to know about it I was just people asking me like oh it's good you're reserved but I was like I don't really care about being reserved I don't want to be reserved so yeah to be honest even if I had been put in the team at a later date I did have a discussion with Nick to say that you know I don't even know if I want to do it now I want to focus on London because um, that was my new goal and I'd forgotten about the Olympics by that point. I think that's really interesting because in the time that I've known you, I've known that the Olympics is a big deal to you and competing for Team GB is a big deal to big deal to you full stop, not just the Olympics. But I also know that you, you, you've kind of got yourself in a position now where it's not the be all and end all. Yeah. And in, in reality, this was a, another really example of why, where, is it, where your resilience is powerful because some people would get into that situation where they've missed their Olympic goal for whatever reasons. And in your case, something you completely couldn't control and see it as a failure but it's actually not a failure to adjust your goals and that's what you've done through that process is adjust your goals so you went from thinking you're going to run the olympics to and thinking about preparing for that and what you want to achieve in that race to thinking about running london and what you wanted to achieve in that race so you adjust your goals but with a long-term goal of long-term progression in mind and that is what resilience for me is in lots of ways is that sense of adjusting and adapting through disappointment and you did that I mean in my mind you've done that brilliantly well thanks (laughs) and then you moved into racing so coming back into it you you ran the big half and then you ran the great north run so both in August early September first races for a long time how how were they how did you get on with those yeah uh the big half was um good both of them I didn't really taper for so um I mean I went into them pretty not yeah not like really tired but I mean I didn't do a massive taper for either because I was obviously building up for London so um I mean the big half was great because of my first race in 18 months um so before that I was just kind of anxious to get to the start line because I wanted to do a race um and it had been so long and I did feel kind of a bit of pressure by that point where you know the months are building up and I hadn't raced in so long so I just wanted to get any race out the way to be honest um so I feel like when I was standing on the start line it was great but I was just kind of relieved that I'd done a race um after all that time to be honest so when it got to the great north run I was a lot more relaxed because I felt kind of you know like I was back and I'd done a race now so this was more fun um Mm. and yeah (laughs) so on the start line of the big half did you so you know obviously you have a bit of free race nerves anyway because you haven't raced for 18 months but did you feel extra level of anxiety because of what happened uh not to do with the olympics no i actually didn't even think about that to be honest it was more just the fact i hadn't raced in 18 months i was kind of like i need to just get one done now um because you know people were saying to me oh how do you feel having not raced for 18 months and i didn't feel 
um like I hadn't raced for 18 months to be honest it felt like I hadn't raced for maybe two months but just people telling you how long it had been had kind of been playing in my mind a bit I was like wow it's been a long time I need to do a race (laughs) um but I had been obviously training the whole time so it didn't feel to me uh that bad but yeah once it was over I just felt relieved because you know I'd ended that 18 month long spell which is a long time if you think about a year and a half without doing a race and if you're a professional athlete that's like you haven't gone to work for 18 months (laughs) so even though I'd been working hard training I just needed to do a race to you know prove that I was still a professional athlete and still there (laughs) and when you were in the race how were you feeling during the race obviously physically you felt strong and you pushed you know you ran well that day how 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 were you feeling emotionally through the race yeah fine I mean I did feel a little bit rusty um just being in that environment of racing again um but yeah I felt I felt pretty good in the race um yeah felt fine and did it feel like you were coming back to something that you loved doing and it was a reminder of why you do do this in the first place having not done it for a while and also having gone through all that disappointment yeah definitely I think after as well especially when um I saw people that were that I knew at the race and that had come to watch I was like oh this is great being back in like a big uh, mass environment and yeah doing racing again that was great and then that made the great north run easier where you ran slightly quicker on a more difficult course yeah um I mean training I carried on training straight away after um the big half and yeah carried on into um the great north run didn't really taper for that one either so I was kind of a little bit tired feeling in the race but uh it was good to yeah run a bit quicker and have a good result there again cool and with all of that what one of the thing that I think is really interesting is that those races gave you control again so in lots of ways everything else that happened had been things that you couldn't control so you couldn't control the fact you didn't do the trial race you could maybe like you said before you maybe could have done the trial race if you had different information but you didn't you couldn't do anything about the selection you couldn't really do much about your fitness because of the stress level so you're just going to run along and see how things went but the races was you getting control back and you being able to worry about yourself and what you could do and controlling controllables is something I say a lot and everyone laughs at me when I say it because it's become such a cliche of mine but and it's not mine obviously it's a thing that people talk about but it's so important when you're trying to piece yourself together particularly from disappointment is just to focus on the things that you can influence and not worry about the things that you can't so even you know at that point in time you'd be completely forgiven for being resentful about the olympics um, for looking at the olympics and the way people performed in the olympics and thinking well you know i could have done better and getting upset about that or angry about it but that would serve you no good in the context of what you were now trying to achieve but racing the big half doing that well holding your pacing well finishing strong in both those races that is what you do and you're controlling the controllables so that that is a really important feature I think of how you've got through all of this yeah uh also good to have like uh another target um because obviously London Marathon being in October was quite a long time away so to be able to have something in August to aim for first was good because not so far away and then have another target with the Great North Run was also yeah another thing to like focus on on the way so it made the the time between um April and October not as long (laughs) yeah exactly and then it's it's step by step and then each one of those steps is I was obviously building towards the main goal which was now London but making that easier along the way because you're putting yourself into that position a bit earlier in the process so yeah so step by step getting to where you needed to be perfect so let's go to London 
And obviously by then the Great North Run had shown that you were in good shape. But you did something really interesting in the build up to London, which with, you put a bit of pressure on yourself. You told the world that you were going to shoot for 223 and that you were going to try and take Mari Yamauchi's time down um, to become the second on the all time list. Why did you do that? And what impact did it have? Um, yeah, so it was actually in the press conference. Um, I think uh, they asked me pretty much straight, what time are you going for? And uh, I didn't want to be that person that was like, oh, I don't know yet, because obviously you do know what time you're going to go. So it's a bit stupid to say you don't know. Um, But then I thought, well, I'm going to go for 223, 224 anyway. So I might as well just throw it out there. And I actually, my coach is in the meeting as well. And I said to him after, do you think I should have said that? And he was like, well, you've said it now. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You can't do anything about it. Exactly. So, I mean, training had gone well and we had a discussion in the week about 223, 224 pace. And um, yeah, it was all dependent on the weather, to be honest. But yeah, I just thought, you know, I'd throw it out there because that's what time I was going to go for. And then to have Mara's time be obviously low 223s, um, that was being really ambitious to say that. But I thought, you know, well, it's a close, it's in the 223 range, so (laughs) might as well say that as well so I was like yeah I'll throw it out there <laughs> brilliant but did it did it create a sense of accountability for you that once you'd said it you felt right I need to deliver it now yeah I think I'd already had that accountability in my mind um because obviously I had um a conversation with my coach before about what pace I was going to aim for um so we did already think you know 223 slash 224 pace would be the goal um so no, to be honest, saying it like the day before in the meeting, I'd already had that accountability in my mind. It was just telling other people. Um, obviously, Adam knew about it. My family knew that I was going for that time. And um, yeah, like a few close people in my life knew that I was going to go for that time. So just telling everyone else, I thought, well, you know, might as well. <laughs> yeah, and I guess it doesn't make any difference either, does it? If you'd have run 225, really. no one would have gone back in the media and said, well, she said she was going to run 223 and she only ran 225. What a failure. Exactly. exactly. And it doesn't matter anyway. And I think that's that's the thing about it. You, you, you say it and you say it out loud and you say it to everyone in the knowledge that the only people that really matter are you and what you're about to do. Nick, your coach, because he's obviously helping you do that. And the people that are close to you, your family and Adam. And well, Adam is your family, but you know, the people close to you, they're the only people that matter in all of this. Yeah, I think had it have been like at the big half, people have asked what I would have run and that was like a couple of months before and I'd have said oh I'm gonna break Mara's time and run 223 I think that would have been a bit a bit arrogant of me to say that because obviously it was so far in advance Mm. and anything can happen and um yeah you just don't know and I think that's putting it out there a bit maybe too much but I think like the day before you obviously know what kind of shape you've got in so it's not unrealistic for me to say the time that I thought I could run um yeah so I, I didn't yeah I wouldn't say you know I'm gonna run 215 tomorrow <laughs> um yeah. that's been a bit yeah a bit putting it out there but yeah I thought I was being realistic and in my mind I knew that that was a realistic goal so based on that yeah that's why I said it and also incredibly positive so you're being you're backing yourself you're being confident about the shape that you're in and the, and the mental condition you're in too having come from disappointments and that's that's a tough and brave thing to do as well just to say I'm going to do this you know whether you get 223 or 224 you know for most people it doesn't matter too much it would matter to you I know but most people it wouldn't matter too much but actually having the confidence 
in yourself to put yourself out there, I think was it was a real statement and very powerful and a powerful articulation of how your mind had gone from managing the disappointment from the Olympics through to getting towards London and delivering it. And then, of course, it's the race, right? So the race then happens and you're getting paced. And my understanding, we spoke about this before, and, and I ran that race too. And I experienced kind of heavy wind, so to speak, like wind in the air as opposed to it in me, um, <laughs> in, in the final 5K. And when we spoke before, you said, you know, you'd experienced something similar in the final 5K was tough, as it is anyway, right? it's a marathon. The final 5K is always tough and you have to push and you have to push through. How was that last couple of K for you in the race? What happened? Yeah, I think the last 4K was really tough in the wind by myself um, because I couldn't see anyone in front. So I had no idea like how far in front the Africans were. And I didn't know if anyone was closing in behind. It was literally just me running and I didn't look at my watch either. So um, obviously when it was windy as well, um, yeah, that, that was hard. But obviously it was only 4K from the end. So I was just trying to get there as quick as possible. And what I talk about there is, so we talk, talked before about resilience and, and resilience is a long-term process. It's, a, it's how you, it's partly how you build yourself back up from disappointment, but it's also about how you adjust and adapt to things changing along the way. But there's also another term that I like to use, a lot of people like to talk about as well, is grit. And grit is slightly different from resilience in that it's about you know, really persevering through something difficult to achieve a goal. Now you could say, that that's what you did across this whole period but actually for me the grit is that last 4k it's like the legs are starting to go just for you like the area everyone everyone assumes that professional athletes like you nail it every time and it feels amazing when you finish now you're experiencing the same things that everybody down the field is experiencing whether you run it in 223 or five hours you know that last 5k the legs are going the head's telling you to stop you know it's getting really super tough but you you see it through and that grit is what gets you to see it through. And I'm interested as to whether how much that goal that you set yourself of the 223 was part of that grit. So once you put yourself out there, and obviously because you're at the front of the race and your telly's on you and all that kind of stuff, you're sort of, you are a bit exposed and a bit vulnerable. And so you need, you kind of need to grit it out, don't you? Yeah. And by the time it got to 4K to go, you've already done all the work. So I was like, I'm not going <laughs> to, obviously you're not going to give up now. Um, I didn't know what time I was on for at all. I didn't look at my watch for the last 12K. Um, so, yeah, I was just reminding myself of all the training I'd done and, yeah, trying to get to the end as quick as possible. Um, I did not know, yeah, that I was going to run 2.23 at that point. I knew that I'd gone through halfway in a solid time. So I knew that I could run two twenty around 2.23, but honestly, I had no idea. I was just trying to get to the end as quick as possible. Yeah, and also one of the things that you could be talking to yourself about at that point is this is just 15 minutes now you know the yeah. last 5k 4k is you know 15 minutes ish i can do it for 15 minutes can't i run down yeah. birdcage walk get to Buckingham palace turn yeah. and then you see the clock so did you, and that was the first time you saw the clock was it in the finishing straight yeah i didn't even look up when i turned the corner it was only yeah. on the announcement i heard um chris temple say um that she was going to smash her PB. And I was like, okay, I don't know what that means. Like, <laughs> obviously it could mean anything. But then I heard him say, um, and she's going to be agonizingly close to Mara's time. And I was mm. like, oh, wow, I'm actually going to run like 2.23 something. And it was only then where I, yeah, looked up and I was like, oh, wow. Um, but before then, no, I didn't have a clue. <laughs> Amazing. And then you cross the line and you know what you've done and it feels great. And like it does for everybody, finishing the marathon is the most amazing experience, no matter how quickly you do it. 
uh, and or whether you've hit your goal or not. It's just, this is over. It's super hard. It's over. And I'm proud of myself, not just for persevering through that last difficult 4K, but for everything else that's gone before it, whether that's your training, and this is not just you, this is everybody, you know, long-term training, real dedicated focus for weeks on end. Um, but for you, it must have been particularly gratifying uh, yeah. on this occasion. Yeah, it was also just a relief, to be honest, to um, get through the training because, like I said before, we were worried about me picking up an injury just because when you've had an injury before, you're in like a little bit of a cycle trying to um, keep fit. So it was just a relief to actually be on the start line, not injured and not ill because I was also worried about getting ill the week mm. before. So to actually cross the line and to have delivered a good result as well was just like the icing on the cake, really. <laughs> yeah, which is brilliant. So when you look at that story and you think, although I think about it anyway, is that you've gone kind of from despair around the Olympic non-selection, loads of anger, upset, you know, all the things we talked about earlier, through to glory and complete confidence in yourself and confidence in your ability to compete and to do it again among all of that stressful disappointment stuff. So I guess my last question to you is, what, what can you and what have you taken from that whole experience? that you can think about for the future? Yeah, I think um, at the time of the Olympic selection drama, um, Adam actually said to me, he was like, um, you know, the year's not over, don't write it off. And uh, because in my mind, um, Tokyo obviously had been my goal for, yeah, the last three or four years. Um, And especially after 2019 running the qualifying time, I was like, wow, this is on now. Um, but then yeah to not be selected I'd kind of written off the year to be honest I was like oh this is a shit year sorry excuse my French Um, and uh, (laughs) yeah this is a rubbish year and it's I'll just think about next year what will I do next year and Adam was like don't write the year off you've still you can still do well at London Marathon and make it a good year and I think obviously I did end up doing that and it was only when he had told me that I could do that I think you know, don't write yourself off just because one thing hasn't gone your way. It doesn't mean that it's the end of the world. You can do something else um, and it can be better than your original goal. So I think just like adapting, um, yeah, is basically what I've learned. Um, you know, you could have an A goal and I've been thinking about, for, like I said, for three years, but um, quickly changing and focusing on something new actually turned out to be a better result in my mind. So yeah, I was happy with the way that I did that. Um, so I guess I was, yeah, if, uh, if anything ever happens again, I'll uh, try to do that again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you've, you've learned that there's ways through difficult things. It's amazing. Yeah, I um, think as well, like, um, obviously, uh, it can be, you can get injured or something if you're aiming for a big goal and you might think, oh, I'm injured, I can't run x marathon or i can't do this um but you could easily yeah run another marathon and change your goal um so it's not the end of the world so i think you do have to take a bit of time to get over it but then focusing on something new and putting all your energy into that can actually end up being a better result um yeah Yeah, it's amazing and so i'm just going to sum up now but thank thanks so much for sharing all of that i know some of that's really hard and some of it you know you don't necessarily want to go back over what happened back in march especially now that you've laid the ghost to rest, so to speak, and proven, you know, what kind of an athlete you are, which I think is amazing. But resilience is hard. So confronting these issues is hard, but marathon running is hard as well. So you're piecing that all together. It's, it's, I think it's really impressive. It shows how tough you are, but it also plays to this 
thought about the growth mindset, which I think is a really interesting thing. So the growth mindset is uh, the author of the growth mindset book, Carol Dweck, talks about this issue or this this way of thinking that that growth and progression is all about our brain's capacity to learn and solve problems. And often when we face problems like the one that you faced in terms of not being selected, we, we think that we're not smart enough to solve it because we don't know how to solve it. If you're like doing a Rubik's Cube, when you first get a Rubik's Cube, you know, you've got no idea how to solve it and you're totally clueless. It's not that you're not smart enough to do it. It's that you're not smart enough yet. You haven't learned to do it. And it's more about how you practice, how you refine your skills over time. And all of a sudden you're able to do a Rubik's Cube. I mean, I can't still do a Rubik's Cube, but that's, that's an aside. The, the issue is that you will learn and you learn through experience. And that's what you've done. You've learned through experience that you can solve difficult problems. And as you go through your life, I can't think of you know, what might happen to you in the future, but you can look back on this time and think, I've le- I learned so much about how to deal with stuff through, as a consequence of this. And I think that sets you up brilliantly for a, a, an even more exciting future in the sport because you've dealt with it. Right? You've dealt with this. You, there will be other things that come along, but you'll know how to deal with them now because you've, you've learned how to solve those problems and that sounds like i'm being quite patronizing about your ability to solve problems because you've done other you've, you've come through difficult things before as well but they all add up and make you a stronger and better athlete i think yeah and none of that takes away from you know the disappointment so the fact that you've run 223 doesn't it still doesn't stop you being disappointed about being an olympian that's still okay because that can drive you on can't it and it probably will i imagine yeah i think uh it's all part of the story and uh the journey i guess um so yeah, uh, like you said, um, there'll probably be other setbacks, but yeah, just l- I've learned a lot. So yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thanks very much. And thanks ever so much um, for sharing all of that with, with me and with the people that are going to listen to this. And I think, you know, I, I really believe that you're in a, such a good place to go and do some amazing things in the future. Well done. Thanks. <laughs> so that journey and that story is brilliant. And there's so much more to it than just about training and running hard and the race itself. And marathons, as I said in the, at the end there, marathons are hard. They require resilience, but they also help you learn resilience. And that's just one of the reasons why marathons are just so great. And I know I can be a terrible marathon bore, but hopefully you get a sense of how, how great marathons can be in lots of ways. And I hope you enjoyed that little podcast and got something out of it, no matter how big or how small. hope there was something in it for you. And I will be back. I'll be back with a mixture of content on an ongoing basis so we'll have some rambles like where I'm running around the forest chatting about stuff that I'm thinking about we have some sessions we have some training sessions which you can follow along and we have chats like that one with people like Charlotte and perhaps next time we'll get stuck into the issues at the top of British athletics and try and piece together what might be going on but who really knows but let's see let's see how things unfold first I hope you enjoyed it and I'll speak to you again very soon 
Take care.